if you have no real governance and no real economic upside, is it ownership or are we just patting ourselves on the back? Which, by the way, is not a bad thing because so much of fan ownership desire comes from like, I love this team. I want to be a part of it. I don't really care about the details, right? But like, that is not what I think the Web3 proponents are trying to achieve here. They want to have real economic upside. They want to have real decision-making impact. This is Opinionated. I don't really have a full understanding of it, but that won't stop me from having an opinion. That's why we're here. Join Features Editor Ben Schiller and reporters Anna Batakova and Danny Nelson. You know, crypto is no longer just about money. It's about culture now. It's like you're thumbing your nose at the process. Part of politics and part of sports and part of gaming. And it's not just the future of money anymore. As they push the conversation further with their own criticisms and reactions to the latest Bitcoin and crypto news from around the world. It believes crypto is bad and it wants it out. I'm even old enough to remember when Microsoft was a kind of cool company in Silicon Valley. Ben, you're old enough to remember when telegrams came over a wire under the sea. (laughs) And just a reminder, Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice. Hi, everybody. This is Opinionated, and I'm Ben Schiller, the Features Editor here at Coindesk. And here is Danny Nelson. How are you today, Danny? I am well. I'm not so well rested, but uh, happy nonetheless. You've been out partying again, have you? No, just, you know, on Twitter, which is a different kind of okay. party. Um, wow. For those of us who have no friends, you know how it sounds, is, right? Sounds really fun. Yeah, really fun. Oh, yeah. We're going to have a great show today. We're going to talk about basketball, which admittedly, I know rather little about i'm more of a cricket person a football person but you know something about basketball though i know the pain and suffering that that is the existence of the 76ers fan i know it all too well okay good well i feel your pain okay let's get to the guest who's uh, rather special she's a new uh, economist uh, with coindesk that's mags carla and she's uh, based in miami and she's a web3 investor and much regarded hi mags how you doing hello i'm great how are y'all good good how's miami today it's fabulous, although I haven't been outside yet, but, you know, wake up, see sun, have my coffee outside, so nothing, nothing better than that. Good, good. It's all happening down there, I hear. Absolutely. Good. So uh, you wrote a piece recently, uh, your so debut piece for Coindesk. It was entitled The MBA's Web3 Innovation Dilemma. You're going to talk about that, but just to give a quick summary, it was effectively saying that the NBA had really been instrumental in the NFT boom last year with the NBA Top Shot, which brought a lot of people into the space. But your argument is that they don't go far enough or they haven't gone far enough yet in terms of what they can do with Web3. So just can you just give a sense of what your argument is? Well, so actually, I don't know if I would summarize that as my argument. My argument is that progression will happen either way. There is this Web3 expectation, both from the kind of consumer user perspective, but also just the natural arc of innovation, right? Like we tried one thing, what's next? And my, my central argument is actually like, it's not as scary as it seems. Right now, the leaks are all terrified of, oh my God, are we going to allow fan ownership? And then um, what I wanted to achieve with that piece was like, let me walk you through why that's not as scary. And let me walk through like how it might be kind of experimented with right now to, to warm up the idea a little bit to, to the leagues. So just talk about the NBA uh, top shot. You know, how important was that to getting this whole sort of movement off the ground, do you think? So I think it's it's been definitely really important because it tapped into existing kind of consumer mentality, right? If you think about what NBA Top Shot is, it tapped into card collectibles just in the kind of video moving format. 
but also into like the sports betting mentality, right? It's like, I think this is undervalued. I think this is going to rise in value. And so I think in general, sports fans are probably some of the most likely to embrace some of these technologies, even if they never heard of them before, because they have that priming into believing in collectibles and being excited about the financial upside of their fandom. And so like that, that was the perfect moment where you have the NBA, the league most likely and most willing to innovate and, and kind of take new approaches with a fan base that generally kind of knows and loves the more speculative aspect of the sport as well. And then so I think the NBA adoption has done a fabulous job getting people into the space, probably got a little too speculative early on, but, you know, innovating and, and adding things to the arsenal of kind of product and for the community. And I think it was a fabulous way for to get people onboarded into the space, even if a lot of them actually still don't understand that they are trading NFTs effectively, right? It was so easy and so user-friendly that, that you don't really have to know much about NFTs, if anything, to participate in the ecosystem. And you say in the piece that you think that the NBA is much ahead of those other leagues. I mean, it's, it's ahead of the baseball league or the NFL. Uh, absolutely. I think based on my conversations with kind of people across the ecosystem, NBA has always been the leader of culture while all the other sports leagues kind of follow it. And I think this is no different. They are most interested in exploring the topic. And I think eventually, whenever it might happen, well, you know, I, I don't think it's going to be a next six months thing, but whether it's next year or in three years or five or 10 years, like whenever this innovation actually comes to life, I think the NBA is going to be first because they are just much more innovative than the other leagues, unless it becomes a little bit of a you know, drive to survive, if you will, uh, right. aka struggling leagues are really trying whatever they can to, to stay relevant and to stay monetizing. But for the major three, I, I think NBA is going to be the first one. Right. So you point out in the piece that the NBA took advantage of this technology to really add revenue for itself. And it was really a monetization play using you know, NFTs, but it didn't have, actually have to yield anything of itself, it didn't have to make any sacrifices in terms of control and ownership of the product in, in order to do that. And you think that's slightly sort of antithetical to what Web3 is. Can you just talk about that? I mean, I don't know if it's antithetical necessarily, but it's certainly true that in many ways, this partnership was no different than any other partnership NBA has done with its IP so far, whether it's you know gaming or any like merge situations, it was very similar to that. I also don't want to be cynical in, and say that it was entirely kind of about the profit maximization, because I think the NBA realizes and, and Dapper realizes that this is an excellent way of engaging fans and getting fans excited. And especially, you know, the games are not happening every day, but this is a way to get people excited every single day about the league and the teams. And so I don't think it was just profit optimization, but at the same time, it didn't require any real sacrifices, right? And so from, the, from that perspective, there is this question of, has the entire low-hanging fruit been picked up? And I think that the answer is yes, to some extent. Obviously, there's a lot more that the NBA Top Shots can do, and a lot that they are thinking about doing. But from the kind of pure, what are the easiest things to do in this space, they've done them. Uh, and so now the question is like, where do they go from here? For fans, you know, once you experience this, like, why have this very derivative product of fan engagement and fan ownership? Like, why not have real fan ownership? So in your piece, you mentioned you end with the catchy phrase, NBA DAO when I 
have to tell you, I've actually met a team that is building an NBA DAO. They call themselves Buckets DAO. I don't actually know if they're still working on their project because they haven't tweeted in a month, which in this space means you're probably deceased or you've been kidnapped or, or a combination of the two. But when I spoke to them, they had a roadmap for building up to a point where they could actually take a stake, a minority stake, but still a stake in a team and do it with crowdfunded crypto. They were going to start with sponsoring teams with little bits, like a patch on the jersey. You already see lots of NBA teams have that. My team, the 76ers, they have, they've got crypto.com right there. You got the league as a whole, taking a lot of ad money from Coinbase and other crypto company sponsors, FTX Arena in Miami. And so Bucket Stout, they're trying to do the same thing. They're trying to build up support from a fan base into this effort to actually get a DAO on a team. Now, the question that I have is, what would this actually mean for how the NBA runs, if anything? Like, could we move toward a world where you have a decentralized group of individuals actually exerting any noticeable influence over the operations of these billion-dollar franchises? Uh, you had a lot of questions, and they're all rolled into one. So of course. To kind of tackle, well done, tackle, Danny. <laughs> tackle a few things. One is the sponsorship avenue as a way of warming your way into the league is not new. That's exactly what Socius is doing. They have deals with majority of NBA teams at this point in hope that NBA will allow fan tokens to enter the, the space in the US the same way that Socius has done in Europe, particularly with soccer clubs, right? Like that doesn't mean it's going to happen. It's just a one way of trying to get more leverage into the situation and relationships that you're hoping will help you get approval. I don't think it makes approval any more certain than it was before they had those sponsorships, to be completely honest. The second bit is, you know, there are existing DAOs. Does it mean that we already have an NBA DAO? And the answer is not, because I could create a DAO today and that wouldn't make me any closer to owning a team than, you know, some of the, those other entities or, or what it is today. So I think the reality is a lot of people are trying and I'm very excited that they're trying because I think the more we have these conversations, the more people experiment, the more people try to think through creative solutions, the more likely it is that this will happen. And I, I am a big believer that this is a very important thing to happen over the medium to long term. But the reality is you will not be able to have a DAO ownership until the league allows it, right? It's a very, very simple binary thing. Either the league says yes or it says no. Pretty much every possible ownership structure that you can think of will require a league approval. And if it's not essentially an ownership, it's almost like a quasi ownership, shadow ownership that is not tied to the team equity. Well, how is that any different from fan tokens, right? Like, I don't think you get to, Call yourself a, a team ownership DAO if the tokens themselves are not tied to the equity ownership in the team. Like that just at some point you're just watering it down too much. And if you think about, you know, where will the league approve that? That is the billion dollar question, essentially. And I think there are two structures, right? There's the minority path and there is the majority path. And I think one of the things that people don't realize is if you're a minority owner, you actually have very little governance, like probably none other than the top. You have the primary owner and, and the leagues require that there be at least one primary owner with at least a certain percentage. It actually doesn't have to be 50%, but there has to be at least 30 some percent, if I recall. 
And then you have a flurry of minority owners. And the reality is if you're like a third, fourth minority owner or the 25th minority owner, like you have no more governance impact than like I do as a fan. And so if you're building a DAO to have this minority ownership structure, I think people are expecting or hoping that they're going to have more people that they actually would buy existing like laws and rights of a minority owner. And if that's the case, like, why are you doing it, right? I think in that scenario, it has to come with a partnership with the primary owner who is willing to take it as an input or even yield some of the decisions to the DAO, especially around kind of fan engagement and the more kind of marketing branding related aspects of it. But as a pure, we are going to be a minority owner, like that comes with very little rights and therefore very little decision-making and therefore not problematic. If you take it to the primary owner side, that's where things get exciting, but it's also where things get really complicated. And I am skeptical that the leagues will allow a primary ownership by a DAO in the near term. The minority path is kind of a way to warm it up. The majority thing is complicated, especially if you think about the amount of decisions involved and the balance that will have to be achieved between, on one hand, decentralized entity. On the other hand, you need to have efficiency of decision making. And so like, how do you balance the two? Join us at Coindesk's Consensus 2022. The festival for the decentralized world is happening this June 9th through the 12th in Austin, Texas. This is the largest and longest running event showcasing and celebrating all sides of the blockchain, crypto ecosystems, Web3 and the metaverse. And it's designed for everyone, crypto newbies, investors, entrepreneurs, developers and creators. Use the code OPINIONATED15 to get 15% off your pass. Visit coindesk.com forward slash consensus 2022. We'll see you there. And so with the equity ownership, inevitably that raises questions of securities. Is there a way right now to even begin to execute this vision in a way that lets individual fans participate? Because with securities law, you get so many other more complicated questions that just make access much more difficult. Yeah, and I'm not a lawyer, so I should not be opining on the the legal dimension here. And all the leagues have massive legal teams. And then let's not forget Adam Silver himself is a lawyer by training, which could be helpful or could be a hindrance to the effort here. It's TBD, I would say. But there is, it's not a new, completely new idea, right? There are two examples I can think of. One is technically MSGS is a publicly traded entity. And it is in some ways, like there is a public ownership of the next team. It just doesn't come with any governance, but there is some way of structuring it where it essentially could be another publicly traded entity. Don't know how the league thinks about it that way. It is a security for sure, right? But it just go with a very standard path of how do you register a security? How do you sell a security? So there is like, that's one path of trying to achieve it. I don't know how the league feels about having another publicly traded team, especially with added kind of shareholder voting to it, which would be required from in a DAO-like structure. And then the other path is structuring as a cooperative ownership. And that cooperatives have been legal in, in this country for, you know, for decades, if not centuries. And then there are certain limitations on that, including the fact that you cannot have kind of varied decision-making and varied ownership. It kind of has to be 
you know, one token, one vote, and you don't get to accumulate them. It's There are some elements that are restrictive to that, that I'm not an expert in, but theoretically cooperatives are like kind of legal entities that could be at play here. I think that's what the by the Broncos effort is using for the NFL. As far as the league comfort goes, it's also one thing to have some way of achieving it. And there is the other issue of like, are they feeling comfortable to even try or experiment? And this reminds me, at least in U.S. sports, there is one precedent for some form of community-owned franchises. The Green Bay Packers have been a publicly traded nonprofit since 1923. They're the only team in the NFL that is allowed to operate in that way, but they are owned by the shareholders who don't Mm -hmm. exert, you know, if I'm a shareholder in the Packers, I'm not voting on re-signing Aaron Rodgers or something of the sort, but I do have (laughs) an ownership stake in the team and I can vote for directors who can, like a delegate might in in a DAO, vote on my behalf. It's an interesting example because if I recall correctly, that ownership also comes with zero economic upside, aka you can't actually sell it for profit. So if you have no real governance and no real economic upside, is it ownership or are we just patting ourselves on the back? Which by the way, it's not a bad thing because so much of fan ownership desire comes from like, I love this team. I want to be a part of it. I don't really care about the details, right? But like, that is not what I think the Web3 proponents are trying to achieve here. They want to have real economic upside. They want to have real decision-making impact. We also have to recall that the Green Bay Packers were actually grandfathered in when the league decided against community ownership. Like, I, right. I I think it was like a 1980s or something when NFL was like, we will not have community ownership. And they were grandfathered into that rule, not the other way around. Mm-hmm. Barcelona Football Club has cooperative ownership, I think. Maybe yeah, well, so Europe is a whole other animal, especially when it comes to soccer. From the fan ownership, that's where it will really happen first. There were already a number of efforts trying to buy soccer clubs and then whatnot. I'm not as close to that market, but I think that just has such less restrictive kind of regulations around who can be an owner and how it can be structured that, that I think that will be happen first, not, not the NBA. Okay. So here's the question. You get a meeting, you get an hour long uh, meeting with Adam Silver. What's your pitch as to why he should allow a DAO structure in the NBA? Well, so I always start all pitches with, you know, there's a fear aspect and there's a greed aspect. So let's start with the fear aspect. Right now, the dominant fear is that we are kind of opening a Pandora's box and who knows where that goes. And then to address that fear, I think you can put a guardrails the same way that they put guardrails on the institutional ownership. There are several re- regulations around, you know, minimum valuation, maximum like stake that an institutional investor can have, maximum number of teams that they can have as a fund. And so there are ways of allowing a creative new structure and putting guardrails around it that kind of get you more comfortable, right? Like here it could be very simple things like what is exactly the managerial oversight and how do you like execute the decisions and timeline to execute on those decisions, right? Like all the things that are terrifying from just pure operational perspective, you can put guardrails around it. There's the second aspect of fear, which is like, what happens if you don't do this? NBA is a fabulous product and there's a ton of fans all around the world but you have to think not about just today, but also like, what does it look like in five years, in 10 years, in 15 years? If I was, uh, you know, the, the leadership, I'd be really worried what happens with this next generation of fans that has very different expectations 
And there are startup leagues that are trying to monetize on that, right? And like trying to show that like, no, actually like you, the fan, along with the players is what makes this product. And therefore you should have a say and you should have an upside if you want to in that product, right? So that fear should be there in the back of everyone's minds of what happens if we don't do this? What happens when kind of this truly innovators dilemma like catches up to you because some startup league innovates from below, gives all that power to the players and to the fans, you're left with a product that's just not as exciting in comparison. And then there's the greed aspect, which is, you know, let's not forget that there's plenty of ways to make this also revenue generative to the league. The reason why institutional investors are allowed in the ownership structures now is because the team valuations have gone up so high that you need an extra kind of pool of buyers to provide liquidity to the existing minority owners. And so I can see that kind of that will continue to grow because there's only so many teams and we're not going to be having too much of a league expansion, if any, I, I don't think. And so pure like supply and demand, like the value is going to keep increasing because it's this asset that has extreme scarcity to it. And I think there are going to be more and more people who are getting priced out of that. So eventually allowing community ownership is going to be the additional way of providing that market liquidity beyond just pure institutional capital. Yeah. And with all this, where it leaves me thinking is, I think the most important thing that must be accomplished here with any attempt to create an NBA DAO of any sort is to make sure that the crypto product or service or entity or structure that is being built actually serves a functional purpose in redistributing power in some way. There's so often we have these DAOs that call themselves DAOs, but you know, beyond the name, there's really not much there. And the true power of the proposal is in executing it properly. That's a lot of alliteration right there. But yeah, I'm excited to see how this all develops and also wary of it going in the wrong direction. I'm 100% with you. And then I think that's one of the elements that we don't talk about, which is the DAO leaders today have a huge responsibility on their shoulders because if they take huge missteps there, uh, it's just going to turn off leaks from doing something like for a really long time. And so when you know, one step is like getting the approval, but even on your way there, it cannot be haphazard effort or, you know, a glorified Kickstarter, because I think that's just going to make the situation that much harder to, to achieve in the long term. Awesome. Awesome. Okay, Max, uh, how can people uh, get in contact with you to discuss this? Like any good uh, crypto person, I am all over Twitter. I live life on Twitter. So at Magdalena Kala is, uh, is where I'm at. Very good. Danny, what do you think? So I'm a real Danny Nelson. Just kidding. Uh, what do I think? What do I think about uh, all this? I am excited to see how leagues approach the idea of fan ownership. And I'm, I am skeptical that we're going to get to a point anywhere in the near future where we're seeing that. I think that inevitably we'll have fan tokens, which just from a brand perspective makes a lot more sense and is a lot simpler than trying to decentralize ownership. And for most people, it's not going to make a difference. I think that for the hard and fast believers in crypto, what we want to see is the sort of ownership DAO take off. But for the leagues, it's really going to take a long time to get to a point where they're comfortable with that. Yeah, it just seems like a, it's going to be a step too far for these institutions that are used to having control to give up ownership 
in that way. But it's going to be interesting to see what the kind of halfway house is between the kind of current situation and this new world that we're moving towards and this kind of new expectations that people are going to have around uh, engagement and ownership of digital assets in the future. So it's going to be interesting to see that play out. Most importantly, money talks. Like I'm just looking right now at a list of NBA owners and when their sales were and how much they paid. Joseph Tsai bought the Brooklyn Nets in 2019 for over $2 billion. That's a huge amount of money. And that's not something that a DAO is going to raise in any reasonable form anytime soon, unless we have a inflation continue on its path and increase a little bit. But you, we're just not going to see that kind of capital flow in. And unless you have that kind of power, we're not going to be able to take over a team, whether or not they let us. So that's another thing to keep in mind. But the activity is there, the interest is there, and it really is important for the leagues to take note and to adapt to the crypto world for no other reason, from their point of view at least, that it's an important way to keep fans engaged and they'll make a lot of money doing it. Right. I mean, I'll just push back on that. Max seems to be saying that uh, there's going to be this sort of insurgent possibility There could be a new league, a new team. Uh, that will start small and, and maybe grow from there. And maybe if people see that they have more control, they have more ownership of their team, they can have more sort of rights over, you know, who we sign and uh, the decisions we make on the pitch or on the court, maybe they'll be really into that. And maybe they'll think, well, I don't want to support the 76ers anymore. Maybe I want to support the Philadelphia Pacers or whatever they're going to be called. I, I could see that happening, uh, although maybe it's a long shot. I mean, what about Constitution, Dow? That came from nowhere. But it did come from nowhere. But it also went back to nowhere. That's the thing, right? <laughs> it raised $43 million only to get demolished by a guy with $44 million. And there are plenty of guys with just a little bit more money out there. That's true. And they also had the transparency problem, didn't they? So, yes. Yeah. They, yeah. I don't think they had a problem. They didn't have any transparency. It was very clear. <laughs> but yes, well, I mean, it was, they, it was clear how much money they had so they could be outbid at any point. Yes, that, yes there was a very much a tactical disadvantage to playing one's cards in such a way exactly all right this is a great discussion and thanks for being you danny nelson thank you for being you ben schiller okay oh you're so cute that is very cute all right we're gonna wrap this up and thanks for listening thank you michelle you're welcome <laughs> you've been listening to opinionated with ben schiller danny nelson and guest magdalena kala Today's show is produced, edited, and announced by Michelle Mousseau with additional production support from Eleanor Paul. Our theme song is by Ellison. Have any questions or comments? We would love to hear from you. Please reach out to us at podcast at coindesk.com, subject line, opinionated, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.